Today's scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 23. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of the Lord. So at this time, I'd like to invite any of the children to go to Children's Church with Miss Inchon and Aureli and Maima, and they'll be um, having their message and praise and small group time then. And as we dismiss them, I invite all of you to go ahead and greet one another, pass the peace of Christ, give a wave or uh, say hello, a fist bump, whatever you feel comfortable with. So um, right now, for a lot of the high schoolers, it's prom season. I was actually just talking with a couple of them earlier, and I hope you all had a great time, those of you that have gone. Um, I know that prom for me was very exciting. I, I don't know, I'm sure a lot of you that may have experienced prom, you know that there's a lot of buildup around it, whether it's because of um, like the, what the media portrays or just stories you've heard or just because it's a big dance. Um, it's really exciting. I remember like planning for photos and um, you know if you rented a limo like that kind of thing and dinner and um, makeup everything that went into it it could it could become really big depending on your personality and what you like to do um, and so I was thinking about my junior year of high school I wasn't planning to go to prom and lo and behold a senior asked me to prom I was so excited. <laughs> um, my, my classmates that had the same class with us and some of my friends, they were so excited. I think they thought we were like a nice pair. Um, and so I, I was shocked. I did not expect it. Um, he was a really nice guy. I just didn't think that a senior would ever ask me to prom. I wasn't that kind of person that was asked to things. Um, and so it was very fun. It was great. And so the next year, my senior year, um, I thought, okay, well, I had a date last year. I got to have one this year. It's my senior prom. 
Um, I don't know why. I think at the time I just felt like I needed one. And all my, my group of friends, they were all pairing off. Like they either had somebody, like they were in a relationship or in our friend group, they're like, oh, well, so we don't go alone. We'll like pair together and like take the prom photos together and everything. And so in our group of friends, um, it ended up just being me and one of our other guy friends left. And so I was like, okay, he, he probably will ask me. Um, because I wasn't the one who wanted to ask. I wanted to be asked. Um, I was too like shy and embarrassed about it. And, um, and I was waiting and waiting. And um, he asked our underclassman friend to go with him. And so I was like, oh, no. <laughs> um, I felt a little bit bummed. But, you know, if he didn't ask her, then she wouldn't have been able to go since she was an underclassman. And so I was like, oh, okay, I guess I understand. I, I guess it's okay. Um, but I ended up having a fun time. We all hung out. Um, me and my gal pals, too. We, like, took pictures. It was really great. And it was a night to remember. Um, and so I bring that up because it's this idea of rejection, this idea of like this fear of being rejected, um, whatever that may be. We see that in, in TV shows, we see it in movies and books. There's this trope of, I don't want to be the last one picked for the team, or, you know, I really, I don't want to be the one alone at the dance, um, or whatever it is. Like we have this idea of um, just, fearing rejection. And Nathan's actually been re-watching Survivor. Um, I never really watched Survivor, but uh, I, I happened to be in the room while he was watching it. And they spent like the whole episode talking about this one player who fell into a team because he was not chosen. Like nobody really wanted him. And so he defaulted to a team. And for myself watching it, you know, I kind of you cringe a little bit. You're like, oh, no, that sucks. Like, that stinks. Like, I don't want to be that person that's not selected for the team. Like, I want to be the one that everybody wants. And, oh, he must feel so bad. He must know that nobody wants him. And um, you just, you kind of, they play it up for the audience because they know that we want to be wanted, that we want to be accepted, and that we want to be loved and um, have people delight in us. And I was looking this up, and um, there's an article from um, 2020 from NBC News, and it talks about this idea of not being chosen, this idea of rejection. And there was a doctor in psychology and neuroscience um, that they quoted, and he defines rejection as when we perceive our relational value, so how much others value the relationship with us, when we perceive that that relational value drops below some desired threshold. So rejection, the article also stated, actually causes this pain response in our brain. And it's believed that it goes way back when to like, um, you know, when everything was more tribal all around. And so this idea of if you were rejected from your village, from your tribe, it literally meant death because you cannot survive on your own. And so there, there's um, the thought that that passed down to us today. And so our brains don't really know how to process any type of rejection. And then with social media, it's even bigger. Um, so these things that, you know, we have to learn and teach those younger than us and remember, like, it's okay, it's not a big deal. Like, even if they rejected you, like, that's such a small thing. Our brain has to, like, work hard to realize you're okay. Like, it doesn't mean death um, like it would have been before. 
And so what does that have to do with Ephesians? In our first chapter of Ephesians, the, the letter that we're, um, the chapter we're going through today, Paul actually starts off the whole thing reminding the church of Ephesus that they are chosen people. That it is because of Christ's grace that we have been chosen by God. We have been chosen to be faithful to him and to serve him. And so we can see from Paul's letter that because of what Christ did for us, we have this ability to grow in knowledge and in wisdom in the Lord. That we have this ability to know his blessings. And because of these things, we can then better understand ourselves. And so for this morning, um, we're not going to be talking about rejection anymore because the Lord of everything calls us chosen. And so we're going to talk about what does it mean then if we are chosen by the Lord, what does that mean for us? What does that look like? Um, how should we be living, um, being blessed by the Lord, and how can we be a blessing to others then because of what he has done for us? So in order for us to have a better understanding of how we have been chosen by God, we first have to understand the gospel. So sometimes, you know, in, in talking with um, children, youth, even older people, like if you, if you ask somebody, well, what is the gospel? Sometimes we get a little anxious because um, we don't want to say the wrong thing. We're like, oh, no, I, I, I know it when I hear it. Um, obviously, like if you're a believer, you accepted Christ, so you've been um, saved um, by, the by Jesus through the gospel. So, um, but we're going to go through uh, just what it is. Um, so first is that um, all things are from God and for God. And so we can understand this because if it were not for Christ, we would not have hope. So it starts off that God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. He created the animals, the land, the sea. He created you and me, um, humanity in his image. And so God created all of this, and it was very good. It was perfect. We were living in harmony. Um, it was wonderful. But then sin entered the world. And so something I learned from Child Evangelism Fellowship um, is they, they teach uh, this portion to children by saying, sin is anything we think, say, or do that displeases God or breaks his laws. And we literally just read our confession of faith about what sin is. Um, and so to quote it again, it said that sin is rejecting and ignoring God in the world he created. So we were talking about rejection. We're saying that sin is us rejecting God, ignoring God. So when we miss the mark, we are saying no, no to God, or we're just ignoring his presence, his, his call, his, um, his desire for better for us. So this sin separates us from God. And thankfully, the story does not end there. This is why it's the gospel. This is why it's good news. Because we are all born with sin. Um, we, we could live the best life. We could think, oh, we live a life better than this person next to me. But we still sin. We still fall short of the glory of God. But the story doesn't end there. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to walk on this earth fully human, fully God, live the most perfect life and then take our place on the cross 
and die. And three days later, he would rise again by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we could even approach him, let alone have an intimate relationship with the God of everything and be saved and be with him forever. And God, Jesus ascended and sits on the right hand of God the Father. And so Ephesians 1.13, Paul says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So Paul is reminding the Gentiles, all of us, because Gentiles are non-Jews, so he's reminding the Gentiles, not only the Jewish believers, but all of us that we've received salvation because of believing the good news, the gospel, and God's truth. And so for us, we find great joy in this um, because we are non-Jewish believers ourselves. And so because of the gospel, because of what Christ did for us, because of his work, we can receive his blessing. And so for us, then, we are to be a blessing for others. And because of this blessing, we see here in Ephesians that we have been given the promised Holy Spirit. And so in this first chapter, um, we see a great acknowledgement of the triune God, which we, we touched on a little bit. But Paul continues in verse 14 that not only do we receive the promised Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of what is to come when we can be in kingdom glory with the Lord. And so one commentator put it this way, that um, some people will refer to the Holy Spirit like an engagement ring, like a promise to be married. But it may be better to think of the Holy Spirit like a down payment on a house. Because it's this, it, the Holy Spirit, he is the promise, the proof, the guarantee of what we will receive for sure um, in the Lord's timing. And so, again, what does this mean for us? In the text that Sammy read, when we look at this, excuse me, this is a prayer that Paul is offering to the church of Ephesus. And we see in his prayer that he remembers Ephesus and that he prays that they may have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the Lord, that they would be enlightened and that they would know the hope that the Lord has called them to. This is a great prayer. This is a very big prayer. And Paul is giving us a great example of what it looks to live as someone who has been chosen by God, someone who has received the Lord as their Savior. They are to grow in wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. And if we, if we look at verse 15, it says, For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. We'll stop there with the verse. Paul is defining a Christ follower in this way. That a Christ follower is someone who has faith, so they're trusting that the Lord is who he says he is. That he will fulfill and has fulfilled and will continue to fulfill the promises that he makes. And a Christian is someone that also loves one another. It says that a love toward all the saints. The saints meaning the church, the capital C church. The saints are us. The saints are our fellow believers. 
So for me, a question that I posed for myself as I was reading this is, do I love my fellow believer? Do you love your fellow believer? Paul is identifying with Ephesus that, you know, you are not just Christian because you say, hey, I'm Christian, I follow Jesus, but you show it by your trust, by your faith in the Lord, and by your love and your care, starting with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see in Scripture that this love for our siblings in Christ in 1 John 3.16, it's being someone who is willing to lay down their life for their brothers and sisters, someone who's willing to sacrifice and love their siblings in Christ, just as Christ sacrificed for us and laid his life down for us. <clears throat> Paul is giving thanks for the believers of Ephesus, and in verse 16, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> he, he is remembering them in his prayers, and there's a thought that perhaps Paul is referring to the Jewish pattern of prayer. So there was a, the pattern of praying in the morning, praying at noon, praying in the evening. And so if this really was the case, this is what Paul's referring to, we can see this example of ongoing, intentional, planned prayer and time with the Lord, talking with Jesus. And Paul prays with this order of thanksgiving, intercession, praying over um, his brothers and sisters, and this prayer of praise for the Lord, for what God has done. So he is intentionally speaking with God daily, different times of the day, holding the church in prayer. And I think, you know, I'm guilty of this too. More often than not, we're so quick to complain about our brothers and sisters in Christ. We hold anger and frustration about others in the church. We're so quick to complain that we forget to hold one another in prayer. Our first instinct isn't to pray because we're hurt. We're mad. We're disappointed. We expect better of one another. And then we, we don't realize that our heart is getting hardened because we're not lifting up one another in prayer. And a commentator put it, it's as if we wear glasses of self-centeredness or glasses of self-righteousness, that we forget to wear glasses of grace. So what would it look like if we prayed for this local church body and the global church intentionally, multiple times in the day, <clears throat> that the Lord would give the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that our, we pray that our hearts would be enlightened and we would know the hope in which the Lord had called us? What would it look like if we prayed that we would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power, just like Paul prays for Ephesians? Imagine, what if instead of just complaining, we prayed? Imagine being a, a praying church that also prays for the growth and transformation of our fellow believers. And this isn't to say we don't pray for the non-believer, and this isn't to say we all of a sudden become just about us, not at all. Um, we pray for the non-believer, we pray for the events going on in the world, but we also have to start here. 
Because it's like that thought, I keep, I'm, people keep speaking this to me, which um, I receive gladly. Um, how can you care for others if you don't care for yourself first? And so for us, church, as CPCLM, how can we say, oh, I, I pray for others, I pray for the world all the time, but then we have this animosity within our own body. We have this, this hatred, this tension, this discomfort, and we're not praying, we're not addressing one another in love and in truth and in firmness and grace. How can we really live out our mission? It's like we expect others to just serve us sometimes. Like we view each other merely as either co-laborers and we demand so much from each other that some of us even expect that, well, you should be serving me and then I'll serve others. We forget that in 1 Thessalonians 5, we're called to encourage one another, build each other up. And so if we are to follow Paul's example and pray for one another in that way, that means for us that we should also be growing. There's this, there's this assumption that it means then we're praying for others to grow. Well, then we should also be growing. And this growth for us happens as we continue to know the Lord, as we walk with him, as we obey him. We acknowledge the daily blessings that he has given to us. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians to be enlightened by the Lord is a prayer for them to be reminded of who they are. We forget too often who we are. We get caught up in our circumstances, in the news, in our fears, in um, comments from others, our emotions, whatever it is, that we forget too often who we are. And we are tempted to feel self-sufficient, believing that we don't need God, thinking that we don't need his help. And we fall into this trap of thinking, well, I've already been chosen by the Lord. I've already been chosen. I can't lose my salvation. I'm not hurting other people, so why do I need to grow anymore? I'm going through a rough time. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so busy. Let me just, let me just do me for a little while. <clears throat> I don't need the Lord. I don't need to grow. <clears throat> but we see this so many times in Scripture, talking about knowing the Lord, that it goes just beyond being his. That's part of it. We need to accept, receive that we are, we are gods. We need that reminder. We need to know that and be steadfast in that. But it, it's about really knowing the Lord intimately, really having this close relationship. Because even Jesus himself in Matthew 7, <clears throat> he says that on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. It is our mission, our purpose as believers to know Christ, to really know him, be in relationship with him, and to make him then known to others. Because how can you share about someone you don't know? Our knowing him more never ends because there's no way we can fully grasp the Lord and we'd be foolish to think that we could. So that means we spend time with him intentionally. We talk to him. 
we study his word. That's why we're pushing for these life groups as we're going through these ESV study journals, as we, we gather together. The, the study journals, I was telling, I was posting it on my social media, but it's literally just the text with lines next to it because it's just you spending time in God's word, really trying to soak as much as you can out of it, asking big questions, learning more about him and what he says. And we do this together as the church because we cannot know on our own the answer. We do this together to explore, to discover, for the Holy Spirit to speak to us and through us in these life groups. There is always so much more to learn about the Lord. And it's so important that we continue to grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of him. And so a big part of it, as we're winding down here, is having a heart of humility. In order for us to be a blessing, it requires us to receive God's blessing every day and humbly acknowledge that we need him to grow in him, that we need him to share about him. And we must continue to be the church everywhere that we go, because we've been talking about this, and we'll continue to talk about it, that the church is not just this place, that it's, it's us, the believers, that wherever we go, we are being the church. And it doesn't matter how young or how old we are, if we have received Christ, we are the church, and we are to go out and be the church. <clears throat> and I pray for myself, um, especially these days, I've shared before that as I get older, especially now, like, it just feels so old for me. <laughs> um, I'm working through it. But as I continue to age, I recognize and I pray that I never say that I have been there. I've done that. That I never say that I know everything there is to know because I've had this many years of experience, because I've done these many jobs, because I've done whatever it is. I pray that I will always have a heart of humility because the reality is that we are being sanctified meaning that the Holy Spirit is making us more and more like Christ each and every day until Jesus either comes back or we're gone from this earth. And so who am I to say that I know there everything there is to know about the Lord, about, the script, about Scripture, about church? How can we stop trying and caring about our own spiritual growth? So in this portion of Paul's letter, He also reminds us the blessings that we've received from God, that we have this hope in the Lord, that we are heirs, that we witness his great power, and we've received purpose and meaning in our lives. And by remembering that, we have been chosen, that we have been blessed to know the Lord, um, to know him more each day, and to share him with others, we can find great joy in doing what we've been created to do. So thinking back to uh, movie tropes, as I mentioned earlier, uh, these tropes of rejection and acceptance, I feel like it's, it's kind of like that point in the movie where the teen says, you know, I don't need a date to enjoy prom. I can just go, I choose myself. Um, except the reality for those of us that follow Christ is that it's much better than us choosing ourselves. The reality is that the God of everything, he says, chosen, loved, blessed, accepted. 
So to be chosen by God is to declare his goodness to one another. To be chosen by God is to share his goodness, declare it to those who may not yet know him. And so with this letter, I'm so excited as we continue to go through Ephesians in the weeks to come. I encourage you, continue to read it, read through it. Um, It only takes about 20 minutes to sit through and read the whole book in one sitting. Let's continue to grow deeper in the word, to know God, to draw closer to him. Because brothers and sisters, our our call, our push um, that I'm reading as we read the scripture is that we need to acknowledge daily the blessings of the Lord. There shouldn't be a moment where we forget. We need to acknowledge his blessings. And only through that, we can then be a blessing to others, which we are also called to be. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we praise you because you are fearfully and wonderfully made in your image. You have blessed us and called us chosen, accepted, loved, children of you. Would you help us, Lord, to grow deeper in love with you? Would you humble our hearts to recognize that we need your help to grow and to share you with those around us? We thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy, for your compassion. And at this time, Lord, we now pray the prayer that you taught us together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.